0: name to a new episode of Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Nick Sylvester, who is a... Well, he started off as a music critic. Then he became a musician uh, in the band Mr. Dream. And then became, I guess, well, at the same time as Mr. Mr. Dream, he's also a producer, but then he became, like, more of a producer and a songwriter and label boss and, uh, with God mode, and in God mode, he works with artists like Shamir and Yeji, Love Leo, JPEG Mafia, among others. Uh, really good roster of people who've, you know, uh, past, present, future. Uh, this conversation will talk about uh, this, this. This conversation goes all over the place, but it'll cover a lot of Nick's backstory and how his career has moved along. Um, we'll get into uh, Nick. Being kind of a protege of James Murphy from LCD Sound System, and kind of learning, uh, I guess, shadowing James and learning James's tricks. And uh, Nick will also get into a just a, a truly amazing story about. Uh, flaming out while uh, working with a bunch of other producers uh, to make music that could have possibly have been on Beyonce's album Lemonade. So you can look forward to that. Uh, there's i recorded so much with Nick. Nick, uh, Nick and I have known each other a long time, but we hadn't talked in a while, so we were very enthusiastic in talking. Uh, this is actually... There's going to be a second part of this that's going to be a Patreon episode to get... All of the episodes of Fluxpod and not just the free ones. You want to hit patreon.com slash fluxblog. $5 a month will get you everything, everything you'd ever want as far as this podcast goes. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, maybe in a week or so, you'll hear the second part. And that part will get deeper into uh, talk about m- musicality and uh, like technical stuff and. Uh, that one will go to some cool places too so uh, look forward to that listen to this one enjoy it uh talk to you soon Nick, tell the listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. My name is Nick Sylvester, and I uh, co-founded a label and management company uh, called God Mode, uh, which is uh, based in LA.
0: Right. And before that, uh, I guess the earliest stage of your career, you were a critic. You worked for the Pitchfork and the Village Voice. And then you were also in a band called Mr. Dream,
1: I I was, if you really want to take it all the way back, I was a trumpet player in a bar mitzvah band called the Stu White's Orchestra. And I, so we could, we could take it that far back too, if you want that kind of predates the criticism.
0: (laughs) I think the, the part of this that I'm interested in, just knowing uh, your career from a distance, like what was the jump from uh, Mr. Dream to what you're doing now, which is like uh, you, you write and produce for a lot of young artists. Um, you you've worked in a lot of genres beyond what you've traditionally played in. Uh, Mr. Dream was kind of like an alt rock band. It was kind of like a kind of, kind of like a Nirvana like vibe.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for saying a Nirvana like vibe. That's very kind of <laughs> you. Uh, so, the I think. It's funny. I thought you were going to say, "What's the jump from criticism to to being a Mr. Dream?" and and, I, but that I think you actually, kind of you kind of figured that one out, and and were vocal about it in a way that I am always very grateful for. All
0: right, because I, I I wrote the review of the Mr. Dream album for Pitchfork back when that came right. out,
1: which was uh, which I think that at that moment it was this it was this band. It was like, they're a critic rock or rock critic band. And which is, you know, you kind of go into every, if that's, if that's how people perceive you, then people, you know, think that the music is very deliberate and everything is meaningful and this and that. And the reality is, is that every musician to some extent is a rock critic band and is trying to be deliberate in some ways and uh, refer to some things and maybe accidentally referring to other things and so on. So I I thought you were going to go that way. Um, Uh, and I'm happy to talk about that, but the, the Mr. Dream to what I'm doing now, I, it's funny, I don't really think of it as, as that different. I, you know, my, so Mr. Dream kind of came out of the, like, out of like the, was a reaction to the kind of miasma of, of shit gaze and, and, uh, what was it called? Uh, Chill wave and all the all the Todd P type bands that were, you know, kind of playing reverb pedals and um, guitars with a few strings on them and 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 were just kind of it, it was I mean it was an exciting time for Brooklyn but I felt very left out to be honest and I felt left out as a as a fan of music I felt left out as a critic I, I just wasn't able to really wrap my head around it and so Mr Dream to some extent kind of was a uh, you know that that experience was me kind of just wanting to make music that was kind of playing against the grain a little bit, and and so I think of what I, I mean. I think of what we do at God Mode is very similar, which is you you just kind of pay attention to where the gaps are uh, emotionally or in the marketplace, and you just kind of try to find opportunities and 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 like-minded people who, you know, want to kind of fill that gap or kind of address that need emotionally. And it could be something as simple as, you know, Pharrell's very well known for saying that all the music on the radio is really sad. I wanted to make a, a happy song. And then he literally wrote the song called Happy. But the, you know, it's it's not that dissimilar. It's just kind of looking for, yeah, just kind of looking for the things that you want to hear and then just trying to help bring them to life yeah i think i think as a critic and as a listener as a musician everyone
0: can kind of tell when things are played out when things are about to reach the end of uh, a cycle and like i've done all of those uh survey things and one of the things i've really learned in doing that now from like 1966 to present is that those kind of trends that in sound, they really last maybe two or three years. And like, you'll see like a continuity between things, but you
1: know, things don't really last that long. Matthew, it's so funny you say that because I, so as, as I think, you know, I, I absolutely adore your, your playlists and they have been the, I I mean, my, my wife and I listened to them, whenever whenever I'm cooking whenever we were eating outside they were just they kind of soundtracked everything that we were doing and it's funny that you say that 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 was your experience creating them because my experience uh as a as a listener to them was the shock of hearing a song that I thought was a like a Motown song uh or like you know something that I kind of thought of as like a 60s soul kind of song coming out the same year that uh you know, superstition came out or, uh, just kind of, I actually felt the exact opposite, the opposite thing where you see how long there's a long tail for things. Exactly. So I, I yeah, like even something like Led Zeppelin, some of those, like some of their m- most well-known songs come out, came out in like 75 and, uh, things like, and so that w- it's very funny you say that Cause my, my, um, reaction to it was was the exact exact opposite but you know that's that's great oh i think both things are true i think it's just kind
0: of like what you're paying attention to so like what i was paying attention to is more like the macro narrative of things but if you really i mean that's the other story there though right if you look at all these things you see uh what you know what things kind of become tradition right like the a lot of uh, like, what what kind of guitar tones stick around, or what kind of drum uh, patterns stick around, what what keyboard sounds stick around?
1: There's it's very funny. Uh, uh, the um, you know, you you know, Rostam from Vampire Weekend, he has a, th- so. I'll just say this is not my story, and it's and I don't think it's his story. It's actually Hamilton Lighthouser's story. It's it's crit- it's, it's the record producer lore this well it, it we were talking about the the 90s drum beat like that dun dun pat like which was on you know that was sort of like we're in an indie rock band we have to make a record and that's the beat we're going to play like it was just kind of that's just what you do and hamilton Lighthouser i believe uh in high, in high school at the at the boys school he went to in dc was in the the high school band and the 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 that beat was banned from being played in like the practice room. Like maybe kids are kind of uh, messing around before band practice starts, and the the conductor of the band was like, "That that beat is absolutely banned. You can nobody can play it here." And so it became known informally as the illegal beat.
0: Wait, wait. So what would you say is like a really good iconic song that has that beat?
1: I mean. I mean, almost any pavement song, um, like uh, it's just that don't don't bet don't bet don't bet don't bet don't bet Like you know, just the. I mean, I can pull up probably cut your hair, right? I mean, let me just pull this on. It's funny because like
0: a lot of those pavement songs, I, I, I never think of eye. them in terms of drums.
1: Let me pull. Let me pull up maybe like a. Uh, it just it I I it's just the beat. It's just the the it, the the, the, a the simple. The, yeah, it's it's just that it's uh or actually you know what it smells like Teen Spirit has the has the illegal beat. It has a kind of modification of the illegal beat. Uh, yeah, maybe smells like Teen Spirits. Maybe the best version of the illegal beat, but I I just, it, it, but that kind of uh, that.
0: The oh, okay. Of- okay. So, is it really anything that can kind of go with like kind of one of those like Kim Deal bass lines? Uh, I mean, t- that yes, the kind of yeah. that kind of that kind of classic alt rock '90s bass sound, like do 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 do
1: do 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 like that kind that, of thing. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. it is. It's just sort of, and it's a very specific. uh you know, it's, it, it, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of like a slowed down amen break to some extent, uh, but the, but yeah, so those are definitely things that kind of, Yeah, uh, you, you're, you're totally right. Those kind of go in and out. And, and I think to some extent that doesn't matter if you are making music that you don't intend to make a living off of, but Unf- unfortunately like or not fortunately unfortunately or fortunately i think that you do have to be aware of those macro trends as you call them you know you know it could even just be i mean one really simple thing is just there's a certain flavor of autotune that is only made in it, it's the flavor of autotune that comes from autotune 5 and it's a very specific setting of the hard tune and the way that the autotune breaks so, and, what would be a popular song that has that in it? Uh, I mean, any future song, it's like like I think any future song, any thug song, like that. That's the that the sound of their voice is AutoTune Five. Um, uh, usually, basically any rap song, that's normally the the AutoTune that's being used. But the but you know to some extent, like it'll be interesting to see. You know, it it just becomes one of those things where it becomes canonical because it it becomes comforting, and it and it sounds wrong when you when you hear something else. It's really odd.
0: Well, when you put it that way, it's like it's the it's the sound that's on like the weekend's voice almost all the time. So it's almost like ha- the vocal equivalent of having a distinctive guitar tone. You know, I use this particular guitar and this particular amp, and you know, this is the tuning, and and it's basically the same deal.
1: Yeah, it it I, I think that's a it just is one of those things where you. This is a funny thing to say as a as a as a person who thinks a lot about production, but when there are certain production decisions that you you make to de-emphasize the production and to make the production not distracting, and so that people can focus on the song, and uh, you know to some extent, if, if the if a guitar tone is too uh, is you know, is, is too iconic or too, or is just not iconic, just too much. It, that becomes the story in a way. And maybe you want it to become the story, but, you know, I think to some extent, it just is all, these are all like little tools. And sometimes you want the production decision to kind of fade into the background. And I think to some extent, and just to make people feel comfortable and to kind of signal to them emotionally that, oh, this is a song that you know, I think dance music does a good job of this. This is a song that you're supposed to get excited about or you know the this is a, here this is the buildup. A lot of times the you know a, a white noise riser is just kind of it's the the training wheel that helps people emotionally understand that it's a dance song and that this is the build up and in a couple in about fifteen seconds, we're going to dance and then we'll dance for 30 seconds and then we'll kind of bring it down again. Hmm. do you think
0: that you know you're just mentioning like these these bands from i guess like probably around like 2006 to 2008 that you weren't connecting with that a lot of it is because they had like the one thing figured out and like every song was basically the same thing in that sense it's not it's uh deciding on what the that mode is going to be and just staying in it
1: i think that i was probably just very uncharitable to be honest with you i think that I had a lot of, you know, I think one of the things that was great about listening to so much music for, for so long and, and in a professional way is that I was able to develop a, like a lot of different frameworks to appreciate music. So th- there were nights in New York when I was writing about music where I would go see, you know, a noise band at glass house, which was not even glasslands. Gla- I don't even think glasslands was around. This was glass house, which you probably remember. And then you would go to see some kind of haircut band at mercury lounge. And then you would, you know, go to a, a rap show at, at, Joe's pub. And then you would kind of go back to Greenpoint and see some bizarre Finnish folk act. And that is was a busy night. You were really living it. I, well, it, I, I, th- I think to some extent, that's uh, (laughs) a, that's a different podcast, but the, I, but that would be, that was something that I was, I was excited about understanding all those different frameworks. And, and then when I really started trying to wrap my head around what, what we'll call proper dance music, I, you know, I think that became a whole other framework because it's like, here's a seven minute song that, stays on the same chord or doesn't even really have a chord at all, or it doesn't have any music, but it it kind of builds and, and modulates in a really, in another different way than you're not used to. And you have to understand what that looks like and feels like. And so you, you kind of have to understand all these different things. And I think that in it, uh, with a lot of the stuff that was happening in New York in particular, I think that, I was just really, really distracted by all those different frameworks and then additionally distracted by seeing a little bit of how the sausage was made and seeing specifically that, okay, well, the, you know, a powerful music publication has just recentered itself in New York and all of a sudden bands in New York that maybe aren't as good as other bands are kind of being, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Dive would have been a successful band if Ryan Schreiber hadn't moved to to New York. I just don't think that would have been possible. Uh, you know, and so you're, you know, I'm just, you get distracted by that kind of stuff. And, and I I just think I was just kind of like a shitty listener and I wasn't, I was never listening for things I liked. I was always kind of listening for a variety of, of failures in a variety of different frameworks. And it was just kind of, it was just not really, I'm not really super proud of, of how I was listening at that moment.
0: Do you feel like you would kind of run a course as far as being a critic goes? Hmm. As far as being, you know, writing.
1: You know, I, I, I love writing and I love thinking about music critically and I, and I, you know, I, I just, I love the, the, just the act of figuring out why I like something and. And just kind of surfacing those little details that make me feel really good. And, you know, I, 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 love, I love that. I love that experience. I think that what, what, what became difficult for me as a, as a critic was, was just kind of keeping up and, which is something that you just absolutely have to do. You have to, you, you, you can't really listen to music that I you kind of have to have an opinion on like the new Drake album in a way. And I think at that point when I was starting to make more music and kind of learn about production and all this other stuff, and I, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to figure out why a naked Regan album sounded the way that it did. I mean, to have the, that's a different sort of listening experience and, 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 it kind of takes you out of the, the game of criticism, which is articulating why something is, is meaningful or matters at that moment. And I think that I, I I just think I was just, I was, I, my head just wasn't in it in that anymore. I remember writing a piece about it for a blog that I was keeping called Rift City, where I, I remember that the Kanye West, uh, beautiful dark twisted fantasy album had come out and i just remember just seeing how much everybody loved it and you know again the game of criticism to some extent is can you can you have a different angle on this and i was like well is there a way for me to listen to this and to kind of say why it's bad i'm just being very honest here and like how can i how can i decide that this album is not that good and and it was it was so unhealthy i was just like i'm just i'm you know it's hate listening you know it, it, it was and and but you could be rewarded for that critically you could be rewarded for deliberately misunderstanding something i mean my my favorite piece of that recently was when john caramonica it was this is 10 years ago he there were two shows back to back at madison square garden it was the strokes who had You know, who were in the middle of whatever fifth album. It was just like their show, and they're they're the Strokes, and they're playing Madison Square Garden, and it was the quote unquote final LCD show. The day after, the night the night before. Wow, that was a wow. That was the same week. Yeah, I went to the the LCD
0: one, and and so he
1: he did this. Wait, weren't hold on? Weren't you on stage? weren't weren't you involved? Yeah, I I was. I was part. uh, Yeah, I, I was part of this performance. I um I I I helped. Uh, create the men's chorus that kind of sang in all of those shows and and performed yeah. in that group. But the John did this incredible thing, which you, which you do when you're a critic, which is that you know here was this thing that was momentous that people had flown in from around the world to be at, and everybody got dressed up, and you and it was this it was this little thing that was important to a lot of us. And you know James is exceptionally important to I me. Mean, James taught me how to produce. James, you know. James was really one of the reasons I moved to New York, and and he kind of, kind of put me in. in yeah, I, I, I'm I'm eternally indebted to him, and uh, John. But at the same time, I was I admired that John wrote a piece comparing like an you know a a ho a ho hum strokes concert to like this thing that was supposed to be this like pivotal romantic end of an era in New York music and he just kind of treated it as if they were two concerts at th- of the same level and he's like and the Strokes show was like a little bit better that was like his angle that was yeah. his review of the LCD show was that there was also a Strokes show the day before and he liked the Strokes show a little bit more i
0: guess for in the context of the Strokes that show would be a big deal because it was the first time they ever played Madison Square Garden so like anytime someone plays that room for the first time it's sort of a big deal but what, but yeah i get like yeah, one thing is like yeah there's a show where we keep playing more shows whereas the LCD thing is like ostensibly the end of the whole thing. It's the climactic uh moment.
1: Yeah, I think that you know, I didn't realize that maybe that was the, the the first time the Strokes played Madison Square Garden. I I just assumed that they had played everything at that point because they were a band for 10 years. They were a successful band for 10 years at that point. So I, I didn't realize that. Uh, but you know the I, I just I that's kind of the fun of being a critic to some extent is is that sense of play and and or at least that was the fun for me was how can I change people's perceptions or their their sense of how can I change how they relate to music and 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 how can I make them take it seriously and and engage with it in a way that ends up being more meaningful to them but and I I just kind of lost the game in that in that way
0: you start uh working or uh learning from james murphy
1: so i've i've known him for uh 18 years now 19 years Uh, i first encountered him when i was in college i was trying to get lcd to play my college uh, humor club and this was 2002 and i just wrote to his email address, which was publicly available. And he wrote back immediately and like was more excited about talking to me because he thought I could help him get a job writing comedy. Uh, And he, (laughs) and he actually faxed a, he faxed a letter to the office that was like, was, he's like, see, I could have written for Seinfeld. And he, he, he faxed an agent's letter (laughs) To that, that said, like you, you're welcome to submit a packet to to write for Seinfeld. It was not an invitation <laughs> to, to write for Seinfeld. But wow, so you you just mythbusted a, a huge uh, bit of James Murphy. Well, I, I think I think that you know I that this is just the letter that he sent me. Maybe there were other letters that 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 he has, but this was just the one that he sent me. He uh, and so the they had two songs out. They had Give It Up. And I think the, and just the whatever was the B side of Give It Up. Like seven, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and like, uh, Losing My Edge would be the single. Right. Yeah. So that they had one. the 12 so inch and then they had, but to out. me, I was like weirdly more excited about Give It Up. I was like, this is, this is great. Um, and they were going to, he agreed to play for $200. And, and he was just like, would it be possible for the band to stay in the dorms? And, and I said Abs- absolutely. And then the, then like a couple days later, is like, hey, it looks like the the drummer is going to have like his kid with him that weekend. Like, would it be possible for the kid to stay in the dorms as well? And It's like, of course, it's not a big deal. Uh, and that that show never happened. And we we were just college kids who didn't know how to put on shows, and uh, I, I just assumed that the city would be psyched to have a concert in the middle of Mount Auburn Street. Uh, but so that's that's where I, I start with James. And then I, I just kind of was always around DFA. I was, uh, I, I started going to New York, taking the Chinatown bus from Boston to New York to, to spend time over there and just to kind of be around there, just to kind of be in the mix. I'd say the, the kind of formal tutelage didn't really, didn't really take uh, shape until, um uh, maybe the third album when he was recording in LA and he was recording in Laurel Canyon at the Houdini mansion. And I just asked if I could, uh, I just, I just asked if I could uh, just kind of be there and just kind of watch and just learn and just ask him a bunch of questions. And so I, I stayed there for about like a month and a half. Uh, There were all these really bizarre rules. Uh, You had to, you had to wear all white uh, which was, which was really, really funny. Um, and you, there, it was just kind of like this, it, like Tiga was there for a little bit. And then like other people would kind of, it was kind of like an in and out party zone type situation. And I just kind of, you know, I just, I, I just asked him a ton of stuff and watched him do stuff and, you know, I'd ask him like, "Oh, what do you need? Like this eleven seventy six, blah blah blah." Like I'd ask him like very specific nerdy things, trying to impress him, and he'd be like, "No, no, just get like a fast compressor." And I was like, "Well, what about this one? that has like you know germanium, this or that." And he's like, "Nah, just get like a slow compressor for that." And he just he was very matter of fact, and he recorded his drums, which was you know always like, "How does LCD do their drums?" And for that um, he had one mic like he was just doing things with a, with a single mic from like 1933 that is like a a, a really cheap dynamic mic uh and he he kind of in, in, I'm I'm forever grateful to him for this that he really just kind of the tools were the tools and and a lot of that stuff that you think that you need you, you don't and he kind of really popped the balloon on a lot of this he kind of like took he saved me from sweating a lot of the the things that i thought i needed to be sweating as a as a producer and as an engineer and as a mix engineer and he was just like nah that, that doesn't matter
0: were you like kind of before that kind of lost down like a tape op uh rabbit well hole? i
1: i was i was assembling knowledge through that so i wish i was down that rabbit hole because that that would have that, that would have been uh actual people who know what they're doing, kind of saying what they should do. I was, you know, I, I was learning a lot with Matt LeMay, who, you know, Uh, Matt LeMay, who taught me as much, if not more than James did uh, about recording and mixing and things like that. And Matt is also funny as another critic uh, who kind of went a a similar path. He he was writing about music. He played music, was writing about music to get free CDs and to go to shows for free. And he kind of took me under his wing when he he was the first person to record Mr. Dream. And then I just kind of started asking him questions and assembling stuff. Uh, But it wasn't that I I was, you know, I I was just buying anything that I could and just trying to, is like, oh, this is a thing that you need and, and get it. And, you know, a lot of it was just like Matt, Matt would have paid to do a studio session with Joel Hamilton at Studio B. And Joel Hamilton said that this is the mic you need to record piano. Uh, and then he would buy it and then he would use it for like six months and then he would sell it to me. Or or, or Matt would kind of, we would kind of use each other be like, okay, you're going to, I got this mic. How about you spend, you know, 200 bucks to go buy this. You know, I, I bought the, on on the day that Michael Jackson died, and I remember this because I came out of the subway and and there was Michael Jackson was playing everywhere and I had no idea why. The day that Michael Jackson died, I bought the this like Ramza console uh, strictly because Nirvana had recorded Bleach on a Ramza console, and I was like, "Well, that sounds great. I want you know I want the Nirvana console, and and, I, and that's what I'll do." And I and I carried this like hundred pound, you know, twelve channel console on back onto the subway and then back to the Bedford stop. And it was, it was so dumb. Uh, but uh, we would do things like that where we, we just, you're just trying to, trying to figure it out on your own and you just kind of go from there. So what, I'm sorry, what, what, what was the outcome of using that console?
0: Did it do the trick or was it just kind of like, Oh, it's just a console.
1: I just didn't, I probably, probably, I just didn't know what I was doing at all. I mean, so I, it it probably could have done a lot better uh if i knew what i was doing I, for me it you know it's it's a it's a it's a mid-grade console that has that it's very much like a rock console there's not like a, a lot of bottom there's there's the the eqs on it aren't great uh but i did uh, i did like the first couple of mr dream albums on it and uh you oh. know which 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 sounded pretty good well, to me, they sounded, they didn't, I, I, I hesitant to say that they, they, <laughs> they became albums they, I. I got usable audio that translated somewhat into song and into, and, and into records.
0: So when you started God mode, like what was the initial goal and like, what
1: was like the, the, like the first couple phases of God mode? Well, God mode started as a joke. It was, you know, it started as a joke between me and Adam and uh Matt Morello, who was also in our band which was you know we thought i mean we just like nobody would nobody would touch those records we were like oh we're going to get on sub pop like or we're we're going to get on uh one one label or another and and then we'll become famous or something We just we had no idea even how the music industry worked and so we invented God mode as like as our label so that we could complain about the fat cats at God mode making us ask, making us do stuff and wear all this, you know, you know, get our hair cut a certain way and all this other stuff. And, and, but it, so it started really as just a joke so that we could make in interviews, just to be, to be honest. Uh, and then it was a cool word. And when, you know, when the, when the band was kind of uh, reaching its its kind of glass ceiling as far as our, our excitement for it and uh, other people's excitement for it, frankly, uh, I just started re- bringing people into our rehearsal space and recording them and just kind of using it as a, as a practice run for myself, like just trying to gather as much information and, and to learn as much as I could about how to record bands. And so I did literally everything for free i would it was my rehearsal space i recorded them with my equipment i mixed it i uh, i wrote and then i started writing the bios for people then i started doing the press for them i started booking their shows i started uh, you know, helping them finish the songs and write the songs, and like all of a sudden, I was just kind of doing the increasingly full service. Yeah, putting doing the cassettes, doing all the mailings, like, and and it became this thing where, again, it was just kind of, it was really just to kind of create that sense of community that I think that I wanted, I, I that you know that mythical sense of community that a lot of people moved to New York for that I just never really felt I I had and you know, I, I wanted my version of Debbie Harry getting, getting her photo with Basquiat, you know, at CBGB, like, uh, you know, wh- whatever that was for me. and um, and so that, that's just kind of what it was. I would just kind of bring people in and just kind of try to make their, make their records and, and put them out and try to create a, a context and a narrative for them. And then that I did that for about, you know, uh, Five years four or five years just uh, you know so what were some of those artists and records well, that there, there there was a band called sleepies who are a, a fantastic uh punk band uh yvette was was maybe maybe the one that i mean it cost me like two or three decibels of of hearing loss in my left ear but they were a they they were like a noise band that kind of sounded like this heat and i i just they were my favorite band in Brooklyn. I was like, how can I make people feel as excited about them as I do? And, you know, I, I that, uh, I did, there was a, a band called Eula. There was uh Quartet ritual. There were, and it was, it was all kind of, it, some of it was like loud rock music. And then other stuff was very just, uh, you know maybe it was more electronic i just because i was just again i was just trying to learn as much as i could so i you know, there was a band called alan watts that i was like oh well they're an electronic band so let me like i want to learn how to record an electronic band or i want to learn how to make electronic music and let me work with them and, and figure out how to do that and so it was very that was just kind of the energy of god mode was and then we'll have a party and then all of our friends will come and that was that was really it
0: Kind of brought you from that to, I guess, like the next big milestone in your career would probably be uh, making the record with the sh- with Shamir uh, uh, Ratchet, which I guess is is uh, 2014 or 2015.
1: Yeah, it, that uh, that um that record, it was made in 2014 and it came out in 2015. But yeah, that that was, you know, that was the next phase. I, uh, I I mean, I just I remember it like it was yesterday. The it must have been, it was 2014 or so, or no, no, it was end of 2013. I got a, right after the Yvette album came out, I got an, an email from in in the, the general God mode inbox that was, Hey, you know, hi, uh, you know, my name is Shamir. Uh, I'm, I'm 18 from Las Vegas and, uh, I've attached some demos and if you, if you like them, I'd be pleased to do an EP with you. It was very polite and it was very charming. And you know, the, the first song I, I listened to was, it was like a voice memo. It was, or it was just like a very rough recording. I'm not sure if it was a voice memo, but it was a very rough recording of, of this, you know, very alien voice, very fragile Saying the words, "I'll never be able to love," and when you hear somebody with with a, a very distinct, unusual voice, you know my head immediately goes back to grade school when people who had weird voices just were made fun of mercilessly. And to kind of marry that voice with those words, I was just like really taken. And at that point, God mode was just stuff that was happening in New York, and that was the first time I. Took money, took my own. Again, need to say nothing was making money. I was just losing money. I, I was spending all of my money on recording equipment. I was, I, I nothing. I, I mean, I l- luckily had all of these jobs while I was doing all this stuff. But, uh, I, I, I flew Shamir out, and he slept on our couch, and he, you know, we just made a, a, a bunch of records, and then we re-recorded. I'll never be able to love. And, you know, we just, it, it, again, we just, the goal was like, we're going to do a cassette release. That was, that, that was the goal with Shamir was, we're going to put out a cassette of some songs by this kid from Las Vegas. That was it. And it, you know, my, it, it just kind of happened very, very, very quickly. Uh, and I think I had just started a job at Kickstarter and and so that was this whole other like funny thing where like that the first song that we put out kind of just kind of really captivated people. I think it was just, it, it wasn't necessarily a great song. It wasn't necessarily a great record, but it was the combination of the photo, uh, the album photo, his voice, the, the, you know, just, just all of these other like it was like just a lot of mystery and intrigue and and like a sense of promise uh, on the regular no, is no the the, this single, is a right? record called if it wasn't true that came out as part of a uh Valentine's Day compilation for on God mode it was a cassette compilation
0: okay so this yeah is little this, little is twi- this is this is 2014
1: that, but... this would have been like February of 2014 and yeah it got you know it was maybe also that last moment when the the press really could kind of put things in motion and so it was written about on pitchfork it got best new track and it it just it was just kind of off to the races from there and uh i had i had no idea all i knew i had no idea what was happening and uh, luckily my my the the woman that i run god mode with talia she was a little bit savvier than I was, and and she worked in music. She w- she worked at William Morris, and then she was working at a, a management company. And that week, or maybe a couple of weeks before, she had started as an ANR at Capital, and so she was just kind of a, generally aware of just even she just understood the business of music, and that was kind of you know if if God mode originally was just sort of a tax write off for both of us, we it, it very quickly turned into this thing where we realized that what we both really enjoyed doing was developing artists. And, you know, cause you know, Shamir, he, he, he didn't really, it it wasn't like he came in being like, I want to make like a house record. He was just excited about all different kinds of music. And to my ears, here's, here's a voice that reminds me actually a lot of the, the disco singer Sylvester. And I kind of felt that felt very cosmic given my last name is Sylvester. And it was just like, what makes, what makes the most sense for this person's voice? And well, dance music works because he has a lot of vibrato in his singing. So if you, you need, you can't have the chords be too tight because otherwise his voice will just sort of sound like it's out of tune. So you need to have a lot of space in the mid range for his voice to kind of waver the way that it does and kind of come in and out of, uh, out of uh, thirds and stuff like that. So just, no, like being kind of aware of that, and then like, how can we run out, tell this story, and how can we kind of roll it out and kind of set him up to have a career that that just kind of became the next phase of God mode very quickly, uh, and that and that was twenty fourteen, and and kind of coincided very quickly with my uh, my forced retirement at Kickstarter, which was uh, it was very.
2: Howdy, howdy, High hi Well, everyone is minus. you could call me multiply Just so you know, yes, yes, I'm that guy You could give my fingers and I'm not waving high Yes, I'm never ending, you could call me pie But really, how long till the world realize Yes, yes, I'm the best, fuck what you heard
0: Anything less is obviously It just gets the bird,
2: more like an eagle This is my movie, stay tuned for the sequel Seems so wrong, seems so illegal Set this in the back like a foul ball free throw. Yes, yep, you know that I love. This is me on the regular, so you know this is me on the regular, so you know Yeah, yeah, you know that I do. This is me on the regular, so you know This is me on the regular, so you know I come with the tip, with the blow, with the boom And if you're in my way, there's nothing but doom I ain't got no time for you ratchet-ass goons, cool. To just settle down, listen to my tunes Ever since I was eight, I was attached to the mic Wanted a guitar before I wanted a bite Had an Apple phone, Dr. Fisher-Price Never seen a song, cause I'm up all night Really, really? Really, really? You wanna talk shit, but you know that I am really. You can call me cancer No multiple choice Cause I'm the only answer Ain't got no wallet Only use your revans You know my check is right Cause it doesn't
0: make dance You wanna get me But you don't stand a chance And if you wanna work with gifts You can get can you just get the bird More like an eagle That's Right, the so the On the regular And uh Ratchet The whole Shamir record Is kind of a A stylistic swerve From what where you had been Or what people understood you As a musician And as a producer So like What was what was the what were the ramifications of that of how people uh now responded to you as the producer of Shamir? huh
1: um, Well, I think you know it, you know Matthew you and I know each other from loving kind of crossover dance pop. That's kind of where our friendship started. I think uh, I you know i, I, I it, it was i i I followed what you were doing so closely and carefully and and really took everything you were doing as like a real challenge. And, and a lot of your taste at, at, you know, as for me as a critic was just kind of looking up to you and trying to just, yeah, just trying to kind of get on your level with that kind of stuff and to try to learn your years. So, uh, I've, in, in many ways, I, I always loved, Kind of what we'll we'll say is sort of this like little engine that could style of pop music. You know, I I always loved underdog pop in a way, and and you you called it or it got called Flux Pop, uh, which I I I still think about. It's like um, you know that I I just always loved music like that, and I loved dance music, and I loved you know again going back to the Stu White's Orchestra, I. I thought of myself much more as a dance music person. I, I hadn't heard a Beatles album until college. Uh, I, but I knew jazz and I knew funk and soul just from my parents. I knew smooth jazz very well too, which is a, a whole other thing. But, uh, so to me, it was not it was not a new thing at all. It was the rock stuff was very new to me. That was actually more new to me than anything. Like uh, I didn't, you know, I I didn't listen to. Polvo in the 90s i like listened to Polvo in like 2005 that was sort of my Polvo moment and you know i didn't i didn't really listen to indie rock when other people listen to indie rock i i you know so it for me it was like oh this feels a lot better this is the kind of music that i wanted to be making all along and i just didn't know how and i didn't know how to how to do it and and what it looked like and so for I think, to some extent, it, most immediately, people are like you know, it, you know, if anybody who is in like the rock world. I was I wasn't like really necessarily a known figure, but the way that the 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 world of of that kind of little engine that could pop music, which was what what that Shamir album was, uh, was people were just excited to kind of. Um, Kind of put you on the rocket ship a little bit and just kind of see what happens and where you go and and so most immediately, the reaction was just people were just excited because Shamir had a lot of uh, a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement and uh, you know it's like oh well you know what happened in the room well may, let's bring the person who was in the room with him to and and was working on those songs and let's see if that what it sounds like if if he works with our artists so it it, it happened very, very quickly. And, and just, be, it was, you know, it was a funny thing. I was totally unprepared for it, but that, that was kind of the, I was, I wasn't met with any scrutiny, uh, if anything. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't met with any scrutiny at all. So from there
0: you, I guess now, now there's another gap where I don't know like how you get from point A to point B. But in the more recent past, you work with a lot of artists, you work as uh, producing stuff. It's kind of uh, it's very L.A. (laughs) as as I understand the music industry of Los Angeles. Uh, So how do you get to where you have been in the recent past and how would you talk about what you've been doing
1: in the recent past? It's 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 funny because, again, I don't really think of what I'm doing now as much different than what I was doing in the rehearsal space, recording Yvette and trying to get them to repeat a section so that we could call that repeated section a chorus so that the song could vaguely sound like music that other people might listen to. It's, it, it's, it's not that different. Uh, and making sure that the music tells the story of the people who are making the music and just kind of having everything connect in a, a prosodic kind of way. Uh, what, what we do at God mode is very, very different from the music industry though. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not very LA at all. I've found, I think that, uh, when I moved here, I was, I, I kind of like steeled myself for, the, the LA song machine experience. And what I, I think what, and correct me if I'm wrong, what, what, what I think people perceive of LA is that it's, it's a bunch of people kind of, uh, putting their heads together, uh, and, and just kind of like rapidly trying to write songs that, that hopefully will be hits on the radio. And is that kind of what you're, you're understanding
0: yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of understood you as being sort of adjacent to, yeah, what would that, that book would call The Song so, Machine. Yeah,
1: so I, you know, I, um, I'll i tell you a story of, of and this is, I, I don't come out of this looking good. I, I generally don't come out looking good in my stories, uh, but the, my first drink of that was actually a session for the Beyonce album Lemonade and shamir and i went uh from from new york to to westlake studios and this must have been 20 this must have been 2015 and it was you know 30 or 40 people kind of just all up in westlake studios westlake is where michael jackson recorded a bunch of his canonical albums and it's you know, it, it's just a it's a it's a well regarded historically historically important studio in LA. <laughs> if it's good enough for Quincy well, Jones. The funny thing was I, I wanted a tambourine for one song and they didn't have a single tambourine in the place. They didn't have any instruments. And so most one kind of sad thing about LA studios, the nice ones, is that they rarely have instruments there anymore. It's just a control room with lots of rack gear that nobody uses and then just an aux cord for people to plug in their computers. Uh, but so it, it, I, I was like, oh, I'm in the, I'm in the Michael Jackson thing. I'm surely, surely they have like some egg shakers I can use or some, you know, whatever. And they didn't have anything. Uh, but I, I went and I, again, not, not really sure how writing songs in LA worked. I brought like a hundred pounds of synthesizers with me. I brought two cases of Eurorack. I brought like a drum machine. I did all this other stuff and like was setting it up and And meanwhile, everybody just had everything ready to go on their computer. They already had uh, loops made. They had all this stuff. I never made anything from scratch ever. Or excuse me, I only ever made stuff from scratch. I never made pre-existing stuff before. Even with Shamir, you know, I'd make something on the OP1 and then he would record a minute and a half of something on top of that. And then we kind of, it was just, we would just kind of, when we were remote, we would still kind of do things in step, the song and the record were being written at the same time, in a way. And you know, I this. So I, you know, everybody's just like you know, you have like a two two hours to write a song is basically what it was, and then you. And it has yeah, the, the goal is Beyonce. you're writing something that will get in front of her camp, and and it maybe she'll take some part of it and Beyonce it and. Uh but you're just kind of creating source material that t- can kind of help her create her album and uh, so i get everything set up and i'm with these two really really talented songwriters uh, and the they're already like kind of like the way that they're thinking about lyrics was like other they're they're kind of like combing the news like lo- reading about beyonce being like well you know trying to do the thing where they're like learn about her life so they can have lyrics that will relate to her in some way, but relate to everybody else as well. And, and they're kind of very quickly writing a melody before I've had anything going. Like, and I'm still, I'm literally just kind of like making sure that my MIDI clocks are syncing properly. It's just like, I'm, I'm a total disaster. And this, uh, the woman starts singing a melody. She's like, can you just lay down chords to this really quickly? And th- what she's singing is, is, is so it, it's really beautiful. and It's very traditional, and I I didn't even have a keyboard with me. I didn't have anything set up. I and I frankly just didn't even know how to even begin harmonizing her melody. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do it as quickly. And so the first point of humiliation was they just like brought in another guy. They brought in this like some guy like oh we're gonna get him. He he's like a chords guy. Uh, and so and this guy just plays a, a very simple piano progression and and i record it and then we I just kind of get that squared up for this woman to sing this melody that she's written for beyonce that i'm supposed to kind of produce around uh because i was unprepared i, I realized in retrospect if i had a track they would have we would just pick the track and she would have written to it uh, and so she starts I had also refused to have an engineer because I was like, "Oh, whatever, I, I can engineer; it's not a big deal." And she starts singing, and she stops at me, and she's like, "I'm going to need the tune on." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" I was like, "I normally tune—I normally tune vocals afterwards." And she's like, "No, I don't. I don't think you understand. Like the auto tune, I sing into the auto tune. Like that's how it works." And I was like, "No, nah, no, nah, that's not how that's not how we do it." And I just had no idea. it sounds so stupid to say now, but like, I just had no idea that people sang into auto tune. I thought that things were auto tuned afterwards as an effect, uh, which is just insanity. Uh, And, that is funny because we was saying before, like the
0: idea of like, <laughs> now I was thinking of lots of like uh, rock albums where the guitar is like put through the effects pedals like
1: afterwards. Yeah, uh, and yeah no, right. And that's sort of, that was the philosophy was like to record everything as like dry and without effects as possible so that you can manipulate it, you know, afterwards. And But in my head, I just didn't even realize that that was a thing that people did. And so at that point I had these like bad piano chords that were just like, it was just somebody being like, just put putting together some chords and I was like, Oh, I'll I'll, I'll, like redo them. And then they, this woman laid down the melody and she said, all right, we're going to just go into another room. Like, why don't you just kind of like finish out the track? And I was like, sure. And so I like tinkered on this like modular synth rig that I didn't know how to use at that point, but I had and made like, Kind of made a baseline, like kind of, uh, and the, the you know took two hours doing this like thing that was I was like oh this is you know but I, I, but it was nothing it was just, it was just it was bad and she comes back and and she's like oh let me hear where, where you got and it was just like her vocal and this like really dinky baseline and. She, I was like alright yeah I think we're ready to roll I think we can keep it minimal just maybe put like a snap on it she's like please do not send this to anybody like you absolutely can't she was like really trying to protect uh, it, to some extent protect herself but she was I think to some extent it was coming out of a, a goodwill she was like you you, shouldn't send this to anyone uh, and it was it, I mean it was just like really really humiliating because you're going into all these other rooms and everything else just sort of sounds like a record that you would have hear on the radio and and there's a ton of bass. And I, like, I didn't know how to make subs sound like that. I didn't know how to make drums sound like that at all. Like, I just didn't know how. And, uh, that, that is literally my first four hours making music in LA was just kind of having my ass handed to me after feeling like, Oh man, I got this awesome, you know, you know, I I got a record with XL, like, this is, this is awesome. Like, I'm you know, the, you know i'm 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 am whatever i'm i'm and and you just you find out very quickly that you're full of shit and it i mean it was terrible it was just it felt so bad and uh so that was my first experience with the LA song machine and i think that i kind of steeled myself for like okay that's what it's going to be like i need to be prepared uh and so i i started just learning how to make music like that and then when when Mina and I moved to LA. Uh, we, you know, that that was kind of what I thought it was going to be. I thought God mode was still going to be like a fun thing that Talia and I did for projects that were, you know, that were not necessarily things that anybody could make money off of. I just thought I was just going to do God mode as again, just sort of as like, here's this fun thing, but that my job would be uh, writing writing pop songs and trying to produce pop music and and that kind of thing. And Matthew, I just was, I was just really bad at that kind of thing. I think that I, I was really bad at it. And I think that there's a, there's also a whole other game to it, which is that there's a, a socializing aspect to it. You know, you, people write songs with their friends and, and that's how it works. And I was moving to LA as like a, as like a 34 or 35 year old person and I'm not going to like hang out with 17 year olds. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like go to parties in the hills. I'm not going to do that. Like I'm, I'm like much more concerned about like stretching out my legs so that my knees don't cramp up and like, like stupid shit like that. And it just wasn't, it just didn't feel right. And it also just wasn't, it wasn't, music that I I liked making and that and for whatever reason you know I've, I've only ever had success when I am fully committed to a project and so at that at that time that w- the like the kind of thing that was happening in the back background of all that stuff was I had left New York after discovering an artist named Yeji and I had been doing exactly what I did with all every other God mode artist, which is just w- like working really, really closely on every aspect of that project. Uh, which at that point, I I, I don't think that, I mean, there, there was no recorded material there was, there was nothing. And so it was really starting that project from scratch and just kind of doing what I do. And how did you find her? It, it was, it was via SoundCloud. It was, it was somebody. I, I think I just kind of like went down a rabbit hole, and she had posted a bunch of Ableton mixes of 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 just kind of just, again, just sort of like uh, she was just posting like DJ mixes, and I just kind of liked there. Sometimes she would like sing over the DJ mixes in a kind of Oi kind of way, which I, which you know, is one of my favorite DJ mixes. So I was just kind of taken by that and. But yeah, that, it just kind of went from there and we just kind of worked from there. So who else have you worked with uh, in that kind
0: of uh, this LA phase, this post-Lemonade, post-song uh,
1: machine LA phase? So the uh, after kind of dosing on the pop machine stuff, we just kind of went back to what we do, which is we develop artists and we take something that is that we think is special and we just try to have people other people who are not us understand it and understand why it's special and so the the project after Shamir that that we did that with was Yeji and then we did Channel Trace we did an artist named Love Leo uh there's an an, an artist named Adan Diaz that we've been working with there's an an artist named Paul Paul Rod uh You know, and then, you know, we also have artists like JPEG Mafia that we're helping with. I'm, I'm, you know, JPEG kind of is in his own, in his own world. So I'm, I'm, I'm less involved with that, but you know, it's the same idea. We're just trying to help take something that we love and make it clear to other people so that they're, that, that, that they'll love it as much as we do. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to in LA. You sent me some uh, Love Leo stuff like pretty recently. That was
0: pretty cool. So like, what is uh, like, what's their? How would you describe like what what is their deal and like what has the kind of the day to day of working with them been like? Love Leo,
1: uh, uh, we we found him on TikTok and he was a design student in San Francisco who just made really funny TikToks and they were really they're just they're. It, there was no music. It wasn't like, here's my music. Like it sent me, it, we just like liked him. And we, we had no idea who he was or anything. And we just like, we liked him and we, and the, I think the email to him was, are you interested in doing music? That was, that was kind of it. We were like, are you interested in doing music? And he, was that the first time you had done a thing like that? No, that, I mean, I honestly, I, th- I think that that's pretty similar to, a lot of the artists, you know, Channel Trace had never sang before. He was just, and he he wasn't even really making dance music. He was just kind of producing for, he was just kind of doing the LA producer thing. And when he came into, when I met him for the first time, his voice just sort of sounded like Mike Dunn on Freaky Motherfucker. I was like, this is, I was like, have you ever just talked on a track? And he's like, no. I was like, well, the, like, <laughs> well you know, meet me tomorrow. Uh, And, you know, controller was the, was the second thing that we made. Uh, So, you know, you know, and uh, same with, same with the Yeji project. I think that the, the idea of, I, I don't think that, I think to some extent, these are people who maybe didn't think of themselves in the way that, that they are now, if that makes sense. And, and a lot of the, the joy of it is just like, kind of unlocking something that unlocking the special thing about somebody. Cause often the thing that is special about somebody is not the thing that they necessarily think is special about them.
0: Right. It's just giving a bit of encouragement to like, no, no, you can do this. Go, just go, go do it. You
1: yeah. And, yeah. Or just to kind of lean into the frailty I think is maybe is one way to, in a kind of weird, oblique strategy S kind of way. Uh, I, I think that that's really a, a lot of, how I approach things is, you know, what's the thing you're embarrassed about? Okay. You should do that. But the, but you know, Leo had, you know, that he, he would like make fun. He would, you know, it's a Friday night. They would record fake raps uh, with, he would record fake raps with his friends, you know, in garage band as a way to pass the time. But he he wasn't never he wasn't putting out music he wasn't necessarily you know music was just a fun thing he did he didn't think of himself as aspiring to become a recording artist and uh, what what happened with with that project is is extremely unique which is that because he um because he was a little bit he because he had an audience for himself already just as like a a person who made funny TikToks he had a lot of good will on tiktok and he the first song uh, you should break up with your boyfriend it you know it's 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 a totally fine song uh, but i think that it there there were elements to it that lent lent itself to his fan base already and that kind of like so there's there's something tongue in cheek about the whole thing and very very funny and very, very, just very TikToky in in insensibility. Not necessarily the sound of the record, but the, the the sensibility of the of the song. And that song was it was a was number one global viral. You know all the weird things uh, that words that people use when something takes off. But it was it was like the number one record on Spotify for like a couple weeks, and and it was his first record. And it was it was truly you know the the novelty hit, but in this way that I I had never I'd never seen that before. Normally, it's like you know somebody at Resonant Advisor really likes the record, and that's a start. And I've never had. And the goal is eventually to get people, just normal people, to like it. And this was the first record I'd ever worked on where normal people liked it first, and and then people who you know follow music maybe found out about it only because normal people liked it you know in the way that like Billy Eilish like I think a lot of people uh, you know a lot of critics didn't know who Billy Eilish was it was, and and it was this thing that was just sort of happening on the on the ground level you should, you should
0: you know, break with your boyfriend.
2: You should break it with your boyfriend. And me.
1: Uh, so that that record blew up very, very quickly, and we ended up doing a, a JV with Republic and just kind of working backwards in a funny way. It's like, okay, well, how so here's the problem, right? Is like, how do you how do you dial it back and give somebody a career when in many ways, you know, in many ways, as far as the internet's concerned, like he's done his service. Like he, he's made this thing that has delighted people and he has like served his purpose. And so it's like, how do you kind of like dial that back and be like, no, 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 this is like a person and they, they make music and they're an artist and like, bring them into that how do you kind of like chip away at the 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 fact that i think people are kind of relieved for things to be novelty sometimes and and um Well, you're also talking about a novelty within a niche. So even on the
0: (laughs) biggest levels, like, well, you know, okay. So let's say like he never did a thing again. He has like this kind of novelty hit, but not even on the scale that we normally think of novelty hits where it's like, oh, everyone kind of knows it and then it goes away, but it doesn't go away because it becomes a reference point that kind of sticks around in culture forever.
1: Right. Like call me, maybe like, I think at that point, what that was a that's a record that felt like novelty in a funny way and it was like how is how is Carly Rae Jepsen going to kind of dig it back and that it, it, you're, so you're right to point out the scale here which is that in in the world of new artists where most people do not care at all that you've put out music it was very unusual for there to be this much attention for a brand new artist a brand new song and and that kind of thing
0: where, where, where do you, uh, see it going with that? Like, are, what are the, the immediate plans? Are you making like, an, a more, like a full
1: length record or what's the idea? Yeah. Well, so that one, uh, the, the, I think the first, the first EP that, that Leo put out, I, which, which I worked on alongside him is, you know, that I think to some extent that's in many ways, it's just trying to figure out what are the, um, what are the stakes that you want to put into the ground? So one of the things that that uh, that James Murphy kind of kind of beat into me really was I didn't understand that first album at all. I, I, I he made this album and I was expecting it to kind of just be like like the 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 holy grail of dance punk and just to have it be just losing my edge and yeah times you know 10 tracks i just wanted yeah 10 more times and that first album had a weird beatles esque kind of song it had like that and the brian eno ish uh record at the end daft punk is playing at my house is is a novelty song you know it had all these different flavors of you know there was a movement which was you know there, it was it was all over the place that first album was all over the place and it was highly referential and all these things. And I asked him, I was like, what, like, what, what is this about? And he, the, the metaphor that he used is that he was, he like, he was on a horse and there was no fence. And he was kind of laying, putting the stakes in the ground to kind of like say that these are the areas where I can, I can graze. And, and you really only have one chance to kind of like, Lay the, lay the stakes as as far and wide as possible, so that, say you do want to do a whole album of like Beatles Beatles sounding stuff, it's not going to be weird because you you've already you've like laid the groundwork to be able to do that. It's not, it's not a hard pivot. It's not, you know, Neil Young. It's true because you look at
0: his discography from there and it's all very good and people always like it, but it was never like, Oh, James Murphy is now doing this thing. Cause it was always like within the boundaries that he had set early on. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It, and it, I, I just thought that, that, that was such an insightful thing and it, it, it just, it stuck with me and I've, I've tried to do that with every release that we've done. I always try to have, have, you know, even on the, that first Shamir album, there was a, a track called KC which is just an acoustic song just him playing guitar and same with uh, the first Shamir EP it was you know having having a record that was like a country song he did a cover of lived and died alone and just having kind of almost kind of letting there be this escape hatch or like having there, having there be a little bit of a pasture that you can kind of play in and pivot into and so if if the first Love Leo project, uh, and again, I'm just trying to talk just generally uh, about it. I think that l- everything I'm saying applies to really anybody I work with. Uh, you know, if the first Love Leo project was, you know, just, it was trying to just have as many different directions that he could possibly go. and 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 also to kind of all the different shades of his energy. And, you know, so there is like a little bit of a novelty energy to him and that's, and that's just who he is. And, and, and that there's also a little bit of, you know, wanting to write kind of like classic canonical songs. And so, and then there's, you know, you're just trying to kind of have all these little pockets and flavors that you're kind of encapsulating. And, and that's kind of what that, what that, first dp was and now it's kind of just trying to zero in on like what makes sense for for him to to be doing right now. And so one of the weird things actually is that I think hyperpop is really really applicable to to him. And 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 it's something that both of us have really really enjoyed just the kind of energy in that community. And so a lot of what he a lot of what he's been doing is just kind of experimenting in genres that in many ways kind of encapsulate the idea of there being like a, a very wide range of stakes that you can kind of play in maybe even within the same song. What is the, the been the process of
0: working in the past uh, year, like going through all of the, the lockdowns? It,
1: there, it, it depends on everybody. So at the beginning of 2020, I had, I was in the studio with, with channel trace every day for for January and, and February and we were working towards, a, you know, we're just working towards a project, which is, you know, you're just kind of doing the same thing. You're just kind of showing up to work and, and listening to records and referencing things and laying things down and just kind of talking and kind of feeling it out. Uh, and when, when, everything kind of got shut down i think that there there it there was a real there was a real difference for people who just kind of write in the studio and for people who can kind of just make stuff anywhere and i think that a lot of the people that i work with are fairly dependent on coming in and just kind of like working closely and so that that kind of sucked because i i just it's a, it's a style of collaboration that a lot of people weren't at least in my orbit, weren't really prepared, weren't really prepared for it. It's funny. There was a thing called, there's a producer named two inch punch from the UK who kind of very, very quickly and very optimistically created this project called the hashtag pass it on. And it was this exquisite corpse of producers and artists just kind of making records and it very quickly became obvious that it was just sort of like a networking, it was like a networking Ponzi scheme for two inch punch to like, you know, you know, make a record with Benny Blanco uh, and, and that kind of thing, uh, which is, you know, you have to admire it. Uh, But, but he, but there was this energy of like, Hey, like we're all, we're all at home. Like, let's just kind of like send things back and forth and at least kind of keep up that energy. And that was the first thing. And so like, SG Lewis and I started sending stuff back and forth, which is really really fun. And then I, as as an engineer, I just started telling people, like as an engineer, I feel comfortable making basically any recording sound pretty good or at least deliberate. And so there were a few artists I just told I was like just sing into your phone and sing into a voice note and just send it to me and I'll make it work. And was you know was trying to do that with you know. With a, with a variety of projects. Uh, but then I honestly, I, I the th- you know, as things have settled and people kind of see this as the foreseeable future. I've, I've totally changed how I work. And what I've been doing is I have been sending people uh, and people I'm working with or records that I'm just sending to other producers for people that they're working with. Uh, I'll send, you know, a, like a musical bed I'll, I'll send like a instrumental but I won't do the drums I'll just kind of let the music be the music and then I'll I'll sing the hook and the, the hook and will just be you know obvi- you do not want to hear me I do not have an artist voice at all I have very much a songwriter voice uh, and with uh, heavily auto-tuned and maybe I'll like form and shift it and just kind of like erase myself so that people are just kind of paying attention to the melody and the words are you at least using autotune 5 (laughs) i'm using autotune pro on the 5 setting so yes uh the the and so that's been a thing that's been really really fun because you know what you're doing is you're giving people kind of like a jumping off point and you're giving them something to kind of operate on and i found that a lot of artists at least over the last like six months have really really appreciated just kind of having a little bit more of like a jumping off point, even if they, it, it, you know, the song goes somewhere completely different and like one random lyric in in a bridge becomes the, like, actually that's where the song is. Like, it's just been this way to kind of make things feel like they're a little bit further done and it leaves room for other people to leave their stamp in it. And, you know, a, a, a verse is a lot less scary than a chorus. And, and what's the point of this song is a lot less scary. Uh, if if you have like oh here's here's what the point of the song is, and you, it's just kind of giving people a place to start. And so I've just been doing that. Like you know, every day I just kind of come in and I just write two or three things like that. And you know, not everything. I, I can't necessarily come up with a hook for everything. So I'll, if if it's if it's good, if it feels exciting, I'll just kind of get that looped up and ready. And I, I I'm kind of just making these little packs for people that are it's like pack plus because a a lot of like beat packs are just like, here's the beat, here's everything. But I try to leave things almost even, even less finished so that people can kind of still kind of get their hands dirty. So kind of
0: extrapolating from this and, you know, okay. So if everyone across genres, pretty much everyone at all is working some version of this method, you know, some, some variation on this, something that's in a lot of cases, like very different from what anyone's used to. What do you think, what do you anticipate music is going to be like over the course of this year and the next year, as a lot of this music sees the light of day?
1: So one of my favorite, favorite meaning least favorite topics uh, over quarantine was how will this affect you know the the sound of, of 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 clubbing, you know? Just there are so many people who are in my orbit who, they're, you know, they don't make records that you listen. They don't make records that you listen to, in the same way that you listen to the new Bob Dylan record. You know, a dance a dance record is very functional and it's also very site specific. And so, if you are the kind of dance producer who has a DJ career, a DJ artist career where you're, you're playing Coachella and you're, you know, basically playing you know, your, your income is this. It, it's not just like, it's not as you don't have gigs. It's just like your entire style of making music is, feels totally beside the point. Yeah.
0: The utility is not there.
1: Yeah. So th- that, that was kind of a, it was, it was really depressing uh, because I, you know, I, I, I I a lot of just a lot of people who I I really care about were affected that way. I I think I I think a lot about um, well, speaking for myself, I think I became a lot more interested in songs this year. I think that maybe I was maybe a little bit excited about the gestalt of a record or just sort of the energy of a project. And all of a sudden I, I think I just became a lot more interested in, in songs and I've never been a lyric person. I've never, I mean, never been like a person who enjoys lyrics first, but I, I found that the music that stuck with me and felt really good kind of had, I, I just was paying attention to different aspects of music and wanted different things. And it wasn't like I didn't want a dance record, but like maybe, um, you know, it's a difference between like, it like got a, 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 a dance record on TK disco uh, versus like that record uh, by Evan's pyramid, never going to leave you. Like there was a like kind of a second city disco sound where it was, it was like kind of like shittier disco where it kind of hints at a, hints it hints at dance music, but it was just, this is just, you know, it might've been re- recorded in Milwaukee and they didn't know about parallel compression. So they didn't know how to make their drums sound a certain way. And they didn't, you know, so there's something charmingly DIY about this record. It, it, it just, it, it, that doesn't exist anymore. But I think that, I think that one thing that, you know, might happen. It, yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious to see it, you know, what, how that'll affect things. But I think the, 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 the play against that is, you know, some of my favorite records this year, like I, I love WAP, uh, for instance, I mean, "Wap Wap" is 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 it's a great song, but it's also a great record, and it it it's very, very applicable to a lot of situations. I think that like it, just the the style of it uh, is really really friendly to social media and all this other stuff. So I think that social media, to some extent, has kind of it becomes a new club. Yeah, it does, and there's something interesting about that. Is and I you know I I I'm not like. That's that's really fascinating to me, and I think that there are some people that could bemoan that. But I just I I love that. I love that there's a you know there's a new there's a new place for music to live. Another thing is I've been doing Peloton classes. I don't have the bike or the treadmill or anything, but I've always been interested in you know what what makes a good exercise song and there's a lot of a lot of thesis um there, there excuse me there's a lot of research about about this kind of thing and i actually had a project right before i left new york where i was trying to uh fully soundtrack a uh a spin class it was called music for bodies and all the music was original and to attend the concert you had to take the spin class like you couldn't just like hang out on the side uh, this now is it, it, a model for the future. You know, <laughs> well. So, but it was this. It was this. Uh, I, you know, I, I just kind of love that music is is forced to kind of live in different pockets, and people are thinking about the places where they want music to live and, and how they relate to it. So, I, I think that for the most part, I I don't think there are a lot of people who are. I think most people are just kind of staying the course. If I'm being very honest, I think music will probably sound pretty similar. Uh, to I, like, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of, like what the Fluxblog 2020 playlist will sound like. It'll probably sound a lot like the Fluxblog 2019 playlist, uh, and a lot like the 2021. I'm not sure if there will only be like any any equivalent of the illegal beat on in the 2020 playlist. Uh, it, it's just hard for me to know. But I just know that for myself, as a maker of music and as a listener of music, I I've found that there's been something sturdy and, and dependable about just songs again and, and, and just kind of getting back to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing I keep thinking about is like, cause there's definitely artists who have been sitting on records. They've already completed them or they're in some degree of completion and they're just kind of holding on them because, you know, maybe, maybe the pandemic clears up and then we can go tour again and this will be in the nearish future which is, I don't know, at this point where we are in January, early January 2021, I don't know, that could go either way. Who knows? But <laughs> um, like that really actually seems weirdly 50-50 right now, um, you know, within the end of the year. But it does seem to me that it's a huge risk in the sense that uh, you could put out something that suddenly just doesn't feel like where anyone has been uh, all the music that is being made right now, like that's going to come out over the next year, there's a really good chance there's going to be a lot of like really big uh, stylistic see changes and the, the audience will, uh, you know, the, the, a lot, especially the pop audience or indie audience will just be suddenly interested in things that are different from the music that people were making like two years ago. So the chances of things being, like an example I, I think about a lot is that period of time in pop music between 89 uh, and like 91, 92 where it's not quite the 80s, not quite the 90s, <laughs> but then suddenly the 90s really decides what it is and all these people are just kind of like, left like, you know, and some of them survive and some of them don't, but it's really rough to be the person who shows up to that party late.
1: Yeah, I, it, it, it really, it, well, well, I think it wasn't, I don't know what book it was, but just like, even just learning that the Smiths and the Cure were just popular radio rock bands, uh, and then grunge happens in, in this very, loud and and belligerent way and 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 metallica happens in 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 that way as well
0: sure Uh, we're really lucky because like they had a wish come out exactly the right time like they pivoted just at the right moment
1: huh huh yeah well i think it's funny i i i i'm trying to think about if i know anybody who's sitting on records i i you know the the energy of 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 rap which I, i'm i'm kind of always like a little bit adjacent to i'd say um, is is not like even the way that those songs are written you know they it, they're traditionally just written extemporaneously they're it's the first eight thing the first eight bars you say that just becomes the hook and then the verses are just sort of this you're just trying to ladder your way back to the the general theme or the energy of of the of the hook but it's not like a pop hook where you know it's very very you know syllables are counted and and every word matters in a funny way there's there's just a different energy with with rap music and so i guess a lot of the records that i think of as like big records that people are sitting on like no no rapper i think or or person who kind of operates in the, the space of hip-hop would it just seems counterintuitive to hold on to records because so much of it is this um,
0: kind of an ongoing conversation everyone's having?
1: Yeah, 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 it, it, yeah, hundred percent. And it, to me, it's it. It honestly, it, I, I've said this before that rap music, the way that it, it sounded, particularly over the last like ten or fifteen years, it, it reminds me so much of of bebop, and it reminds me so much of just you know the the hook of the hook of a of a bebop record is is just an excuse to solo. It's an excuse for everybody in the band to solo. And like, you're kind of listening for the solo and the kind of momentary thrills of somebody in their moment. And uh, so the, I, I don't know about rap in that regard, but. This I, seems like this seems like a very
0: dangerous zone to be in for pop. Yeah, I,
1: I, pop, and, well, I think
0: it's the fast other- and it's also like way more like
1: unforgiving. Yeah, you you're you're taking big swings and you're you're and things don't work out. Uh, I was reading an article about how much how upset King Cuddy was that "Surfin," which was a record he did with Pharrell, that it didn't it didn't do the thing, and it was this kind of like you know for for Cuddy, who sings typically about, uh, you know. Uh, His, his, you know, struggling with mental health and all this other stuff. Like, really, you know, this was like a happy record because it's Pharrell, and it was really, it was lovely for a record that, you know, you know, you know, surfing. I, you know, I make my own waves, and this is the guy who is the man on the moon. So it's moon and waves. It's just like it's just it was really smart. I mean, it's just really classic Pharrell in that smart dumb kind of way, and. So, you know, I, I think that there is, that was like the pop, the quote unquote pop record of like the Kid Cudi record and just mm-hmm. didn't happen. So even when the stars are aligned, so to speak, you know, you, you, don't really have, there, there's no real, um, yeah, there, there's, there's no real rhyme or reason why things do or don't work. If we, if we did know, then Katy Perry undoubtedly would have had a lot more success over the last three albums, but I think it's only actually one record. Is she just like had so many false starts? The, You know, to me though, what's so funny is I, I I wonder if we'll go back to those records and, and they just, maybe they were kind of tone deaf in the moment, but I, I wonder if they'll just feel really good in the way that like maybe the Gwen Stefani winded up project. Yeah. Kind of feels really good right now. I, you know, and and I was, I didn't get it at all. I think that people sample at some point, and be like Oh my God, what the hell
0: was that? It's like, Oh, that was one of those Katy Perry songs. No one ever liked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It'll, it'll I, 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 so again, I think it'll be interesting, but uh, well, I think one thing that has happened in the pop space that I think is really, really fascinating is that it, it has shrunk uh, that shrunk, meaning that instead of building up one mega star, it's like let's get a bunch of kind of bedroom poppy things that maybe will maybe will break in the way that billie eilish break, broke but if it doesn't it's no big deal because like you know maybe this this record will stream 100 million times and and maybe you know maybe we can get a few artists that kind of stream 100 million uh things in kind of our alt radio success stories and are just kind of like these like maybe like long tail successes maybe like with the I don't, but it's been, so, you know, there's a lot, there's just so much stuff in the wake of, of like someone like Clara, like one artist right now who is just kind of, uh, and in the wake of like Dominic Fike and things like that, there's an artist named 347 Aiden, who I'm not sure if you've, if you've seen this song kind of moving around, it's called dancing in my room. It's like, it's, it's a bedroom pop song called dancing in my room. You know, it's just, and it's, uh, it's it doesn't sound good, but it but it's perfect. You know what I mean. It just is. It's not. It's not a pop record in any recognizable way. Um, I think th- I think the new Playboy Cardi album is another example of that it's not it's not pop necessarily, but the that record. You know, people were waiting for like three years for him to make this like enormous statement, like this enormous kind of beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy style statement, and he just kind of made this record that. Is just I I can't remember the last time a pop record or a a record on like a major label just sounded so wrong. Okay, like I'm so glad to
0: hear you say that because I was trying to write about one of these songs the other day, and the only thing I could really come at is like this is a pop song where everything about this should not work, but yet it works, and he can do it over and over again. He he has like the uh, like a this like i think like so oh, was a was it gunner or stunner what was the name of that song uh slayer oh well, slayer is the one i wrote about i from the previous record that the one that did really well but like that would be like the template um so he did it with a uh, little uzi verse the song uh maybe two years ago anyway uh besides the point is that he has this thing oh you're talking about shoot it sorry uh, yeah shoot there it. we go yeah um yeah that song is truly amazing that's like that's probably one of my like one of my favorite rap songs of the past like five years (laughs) um in in as much as it's rap because it's like notionally rap it's notionally pop it's notionally rock music and in in as much as he gestures towards rock
1: without really like emulating it's 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 ornette coleman no he you know it's just it's it's awesome it's it's so good and and it's so exciting
2: everywhere i go i get papers Everywhere I go, I get papers. I'm a ride I could've joined Slayer. Got the drum in the car, that bitch a Slayer. Get put in the box for fucking with a player. Yeah. AR in the box, came with a laser. I cuz I up. Yeah, chill like I Cato. Yeah, I fuck on my type. Yeah, we made it in Cato. Yeah, I go balling that bitch. Yeah, chill like a blazer. Yeah, can't start with the bitch. I link another one later I gotta get it together. Yeah, I'm living my life like a rebel. They try to lock me in a kennel. Yeah, I beat the case with a symbol. Fresh out of court. Yeah, jump in the porch. Yeah, slidin' through the hood. Yeah, everything good. Yeah, whole out of mob shit. Whole out of mob. Whole out of mob shit.
1: I I can't believe that this is an album that people are, who are fans of rap music are listening to. You know, it's and it's not. It's more underground than any underground record. You know what I mean. It's more forward thinking than anything on the wires top fifty this year. You know, it, it sounds. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of things that, you know, those niches like are kind of kind of doing the same things, the things that we have accepted as being interesting art music, whereas this is like (laughs) blowing it up. This is just completely nuking the idea of pop music. And yet coming, you're still arriving at something that is melodic and catchy.
1: It's, yeah, it's just so awesome. And, and so I, I love that, you know, when a record like this happens, you know this really just like blows open the door and i and so to some extent this is like maybe a moment where like the financial interests of the like the larger entities that are controlling the flow of this stuff and like and the communication of it uh like maybe where where it is like kind of aligned with the the larger project of just making music largely more interesting i think that you're seeing that with i mean the the hundred gex album as well was was a you know it it's just wrong everything about it is wrong and they just you know just seeing people speak positively of ska music or like oh man we got the fallout boy guy and people like oh man that's that's a great idea you should get the guy from fallout boy on your record like all like all these things that are just so wrong and and it just feels it just feels great and so i I, I hope that maybe maybe to kind of answer your question maybe I I hope that maybe we get more things like this where the because because so so much of the so many of the benchmarks of like a successful pop rollout uh, you know sold out tours on the radio this or that because you know we've like lost because we've lost some of the those uh, benchmarks I maybe maybe this kind of online cult enthusiasm, guiding, uh, business, business decisions. Maybe that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. It also seems like the perfect time for anyone who is ever like, oh, I always wanted to do kind of a weird thing, but you know, I have to worry about all these other pressures. Like now is the time to just go like this, the, this year and next year is the absolutely the time for everyone to just go fully nuts and see where we are on the other side of that. That is to me, the optimistic view of all of
1: this. Oh, and I think that uh, I, I mean, I, I, I really hope so. And I, I, I've been trying to encourage the people in my orbit to, to kind of think of it that, you know, along those lines as well. Uh, I think another thing that, you know, that I've had to adjust to in, in LA is that the stuff that I think is new and crazy, uh, people just don't think it's music. They're like, Oh, this just isn't music. But if you have people, (laughs) uh, I mean, God, uh, I mean, anything by black dice is a great example. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) just like people are like, Oh, this just isn't music. Like, Oh, like what even is this? Is it like, you know, the word crazy is used to describe music. That's just like, I don't think this is music. Um, but when people are like, Oh, this sounds new. This is, this is, this is that, this is that new shit. Uh, they it's, ne- it's never, ever, ever that much of a new thing. I mean, I, I really love watching the videos on genius of producers talking about what they've, you know, the kind of process of making the record and you're expecting it. You know, it'll be like the baby. It'll be, uh, Shug. and, that that's a that's a bass line, like a weird kind of plinking sound, and then it's basically the baby, and the the way that the producers talk about how they how Jetson uh, talks about having the the eight oh eight kind of like bump bump but then then at the end of you know at the end of the the turnaround, he talks about it as if it's like the sky cracked open. And, and you're like well what, I don't get it like why is he so excited about this like you know he he just made the bass play notes like it, you know I don't I, you know what is it and you can look at it and be like oh he, he doesn't know about he doesn't know about records he doesn't know about music he doesn't know about black dice but the reality is is that he knows exactly how much newness can be accommodated in pop music and that 808 doing exactly like the way that the, the, the 808 and the way that the the, the, the beat kind of swings in a very specific way and the tempo, that was, if you look close enough, it's really, really, really new and really exciting, but it's also understandable. So I think any, you know, even someone like Charlie XEX, like her making a quote unquote new record, it's still going to sound like music. It's just, you know what I mean? Because it's not going to occur to her. It would never even, or she maybe she wouldn't, let herself make a black dice album like, or she'd be, she would figure out a way to like make a black dice record that makes sense to people who don't even know what that is. You know, I think I, I guess I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of faith in, in the kind of, in, in the way that even when pop music tries to be new, it's still like, it's not, it's, it's new enough. If that makes sense, it's never too new.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having like a a radical shift. I mean, all these things are kind of based on context, right? So like, we so you're talking about this other producer who has like this extremely nuanced sense of the context that he's working with in the moment. And what is the thing that can be introduced in the moment that will be exciting, but also, you know, part of the moment still not like not I mean it's like imagine like just having a conversation with someone and then just like wildly like shifting gears and something that's going to just completely ruin the conversation
1: it uh, I mean this is I had said this earlier about how one of the things I've had to get over for myself and to kind of again just to kind of be uh Functional as a, as a producer and as a person who is a business owner and as a person who's working with artists and uh, is, you know, the, the people who are the, like the comic book guy esque people who are trying to, who really, really love new stuff, quote unquote, like real new stuff, like wire magazine type stuff. Nothing I'm going to do ever is going to be new in in their eyes. Like it just isn't going to work out. and, and nothing, you know, n- none of the artists that I'm ever going to work with on an engineering side are like, you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm uh, worried about like mixing a record and having it be like this incredible mix that rivals any Steely Dan mix or any r- rivals any Bruce Sweetian, uh, I don't know how to say his last name mix, you know, it's just not gonna. I'm, I'm kind of missing the point, uh, but I've just been I've I've tried to kind of get. I, I've just tried to get comic book guy out of my ear a little bit and, and tried to not worry too much about whether something's going to be new because it's not this, the stuff that I'm making isn't for them. It just is never going to be for them. And that's, and that's okay. Uh, and that's, does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. That, also, that actually said, like I'm not seems
0: like a pretty good like note to end on. <laughs>
1: <I'll> <laughs> do you you want to get rid of
0: it? Sure. Just put a good button on it. <laughs> Uh so Nick tell the listeners where they can find you where they can find God Mode and you know can they get in touch with you
1: Yeah I I mean I'm terrible at I'm I'm generally bad at social media but if you uh you know godmodemusic.com is is a is a website that where I believe information is current and you know we're 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 in the mix and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm fairly accessible. I, I, I'm, I'm in I'm all the, I'm on all the major platforms, I think. Can, can
0: people still pull a Shamir with you?
1: Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I that's, I, you know, anybody who's interested in what we're doing and reaching out to us and kind of is excited about it, that's, and kind of understands what we do. I think generally is I'm, um, I'm usually pretty curious about that. I, I I generally look at 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 any blind inquiries. Uh, you know, it's it's just as fascinating just to see all the things that people do. Yeah. Well, thank uh, Nick. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I t- thank you. I again. I I to me, it has always been a gift to talk to you about music, and so I'm I'm very grateful that you gave me so much of your time. the feelings
2: of a real live emotional teenager. And then you think again. Son of silver, talk to me. Makes you want to feel like a teenager. Until you remember the feelings of a real live emotional teenager. Then you think again.